Chapter 19 of A Mayfair Magician, A Romance of Criminal Science This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Mayfair Magician, A Romance of Criminal Science By George Griffith Chapter 19 At a quarter to ten the next morning, just as the Gold King was finishing a very leisurely breakfast, Mr. Saunders, his body-servant and domestic factotum, knocked at the door and came in with a little curiously folded note on a silver salver. The peculiar twist of the paper caught his eye at once, and his eyelids lifted ever so slightly a movement that did not escape the observant gaze of Mr. Saunders. "'Note, sir,' he said, softly, as he presented the salver. "'Brought by a foreign party, Indian, I think, sir. Wouldn't leave it with the porter, so he had to send up for me. Wouldn't give it to anybody's hands but mine or yours, sir. And so, as you were having breakfast and not at home to people of that sort, I went down and got it.' "'Of course you would, Saunders,' replied his master, picking the note up off the salver. "'But what sort of person do you suppose that I am not at home to?' "'Beg pardon, sir, if I've done wrong in not bringing him up,' said Mr. Saunders apologetically. "'But I didn't quite like the party's appearance. He wears white trousers, two inches too short for him, and a lot too tight for thin legs like his.' Elastic sides for boots, which no one respectable wears nowadays. Two sizes too big for him. Single-breasted frock-coat. Not too new. Buttoned up to his neck. No collar. And a white turban with a little brass sort of ornament hanging in front. A square, circular, triangular kind of thing. All mixed up as it might be, sir. That doesn't interest me very particularly, Saunders said the gold king, lying with perfect ease that is only born of long patience. I really don't want to know how the gentleman is dressed, but if he is still waiting, you can show him up. As he spoke, he took up the note and opened it. Mr. Saunders, true to the traditions of his kind, watched his master's face very narrowly while he was reading it, but for all he saw, he might as well have been looking at the face of a graven image. Mr. Siemens twisted the note up and dropped it beside his plate. He took a cigarette out of his case, lit it, and said slowly, "'My appointment with Mr. Davidson is for ten-thirty, isn't it?' "'Yes, sir,' said Sanders. "'Very well, then. You can tell this person to come up, and then telephone to the Mews, and have the brougham ready at ten-thirty.' Saunders murmured another, "'Yes, sir,' made an angular sort of bow, and disappeared." As soon as the door had closed, Mr. Headley Siemens made a sotto voce remark to himself, which it is not necessary to produce, lit a cigarette, and then held the note and a burning match over his coffee cup. As it was reduced to tinder, he let it fall into the cup, poured out a little more coffee, and stirred it in. Then he pushed his chair a little way from the table, leant back, and puffed slowly and meditatively until another knock came at the door and Saunders opened it, came in, and said, "'This is the person who brought the note, sir.' 
Then he stepped aside, and Ram Das came into the room, raised his hands to his turban, and salaamed. "'That will do, Saunders. You can go and see about the brougham now, and come back in twenty minutes,' said Mr. Siemens, taking his watch out of his pocket, and looking at it for a moment. "'Very good, sir,' murmured Saunders, taking a couple of quick glances, one at his master, and the other at his visitor, and closing the door quietly behind him. Ram Dass stood erect and motionless by the door. His eyes looked downward, and his hands hung loosely as they had fallen after the salaam. Mr. Siemens went on puffing at his cigarette for a few moments longer, took another glance at the morning paper propped up in front of him against the toast-rack, and then said rather abruptly in Urdu, the lingua franca of Hindustan, "'Then am I to understand that what the princess said to me yesterday was true, or at least approaching the truth?' "'It was true, Sahib, quite true,' replied Ram Dass, speaking with as little expression as a phonograph might have done. "'My master does not send idle messages to such majesties as your most honourable self.' "'No, I suppose it would be hardly worth his while or mine,' replied the millionaire, flicking the ash off his cigarette. "'But as you have waited for an answer, which I could have sent just as quickly by an ordinary messenger—' What did he tell you to say to me about the letter? The commands of the Sahib doctor were to tell the Lord of many millions that to those who see with the eyes of faith it is possible to see more in darkness than in the light, and that the Mem Princess Sahib has seen. That is all. As Ramdas said this, he took a couple of steps aside and stood in front of the door, so that it could not be opened unless he moved. Headley Siemens dropped his cigarette onto his plate, got up, and went to one of the windows overlooking the park. For two or three minutes he gazed out as though he were looking into vacancy. Then he turned quickly and said, "'Ram Dass, what is your price? I can make you rich, so rich that you will never have another care between here and Nirvana, and I will do it if you tell me, yes, if you tell me what you know that I want to know.' As he spoke, he took his right hand out of his pocket, and made a swift sign with it. Ram Dass salaamed again, and said in his gentle, monotonous voice, "'My lord is of the elect to whom knowledge has been granted, and yet would he ask for more knowledge from his slave? What can I tell him that he does not know already?' "'You can tell me what I asked for, Ram Dass,' replied the Gold King." going towards him and looking keenly into his dark, inscrutable eyes. And you know what I ask for before I say it. Is Jennifer Halkeen dead? I will give you a thousand pounds for a truthful answer to that. It is not for me to tell, my lord Sahib. Those who have passed through the gateway of the Temple of Knowledge may die and yet live. To those who know much many things are possible, which to others would seem impossible." "'I understand,' said Mr. Siemens, with a somewhat uneasy laugh. "'If you won't take my thousand pounds for a straight answer to a straight question, I can only conclude that you know a good deal more than you care to say.' "'Very well, Ram Dass. I'm so accustomed to buy the meaner sort of people, body and soul, that I like to meet a man who can't be bought. Though, mind you, if your master has a million, I have twenty. 
Ramdas raised his head, and looking the master of millions straight in the eyes, said as quietly as before, Protector of the poor, gold is of worth in one life only, but knowledge grows from life to life. The pilgrim must leave his gold on the edge of the grave, his knowledge he may take with him. I have enough, I can live, why should I ask for more? If Hedley Siemens had not been the strange combination of dreamer, student, and money-maker that he was, if he had only been one of those men who have the faculty of piling thousands on thousands, just as other men have the faculties for accumulating facts, he would have laughed at Ram Dass and increased his offer from a thousand to ten thousand, but he was able to read the inner meaning of his words. So he said, Ram Dass, I am content. Your master has told me more through your lips than he did in his letter. My answer is that through the darkness I will try to see the light. The words of my lord Sahib shall be as though they were spoken in the ear of my master, replied Ram Dass, raising his hands again to his turban and salaaming. Very good, replied Mr. Siemens. I shall be there at seven. Tell Dr. Ramal. He had been looking out of the window as he said this. When he turned round, Ram Dass had vanished. He had not heard the door open or shut, but he was gone. I thought so he went on, taking out another cigarette from his case and lighting it. I suppose that was a sort of final hint that, well, that I am to a certain extent playing with fire, and I may quite possibly burn my fingers. Still, it's worth it. I wonder what it all means, and if her bewitching highness really is... No, I shan't believe it until I see it. Light through darkness, quite an eastern way of putting a little mystery. Where did she learn it? What a pity that there is that other one, the only one. If I had never seen her, Karanatiev should have her heart's desire, and between us, possibly with the assistance of our good friend Isa Ramal, and that very excellent henchman of his, who just got through the door without opening it, we should come very near to running the world, if not psychically, at least mentally. It would be a great destiny. I've got the money, so much of it that it's worth nothing, except to buy something else with. I wonder. Yes. After all, there is no reason why it shouldn't be quite possible. The princess is hardly a woman who would allow any ordinary scruples to stand in her way. Ramal has the same ambitions as I have, and if there is any truth in those enigmatical words of Ram Dass about how keen, and we could all work together, the possibilities would be simply infinite. Endstone would be an obstacle to a certain extent, but not an entirely insuperable one. And if Mademoiselle la Princesse does not want an absolute monopoly, well, well, money and magic can do a good deal between them. There's not much that they can't buy or win. Even Grace herself, or, after all, she's only human. So is the other. It will be quite an interesting séance this evening at the Institute. I wonder what kind of light I really shall see through the darkness. End of chapter 19